Hi, I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Acorn Grove. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about something uh, that is sort of unique to the environment that we have found ourselves in over the past six months to a year, um, and probably will continue to be in for another six months to a year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about mindset, strategy, and tools, and we're going to start kind of high level with strategy and then just meander right on over to some tools that can help with this. And this is really um, maybe an episode about problem solving, because oh. I think that one of the things that is happening in this environment is that we know um, kind of traditional strategic allocation, buy and hold, where you're saying, okay, I need 30, 40%, whatever the number is of my portfolio in bonds means setting yourself up for some risk exposure that doesn't make sense in the environment that we find ourselves in. So um, right. do you want to talk a little bit about bonds and returns and rising interest rate environments for our audience? Yeah. So, you know, the the running joke kind of at the end of last year was the little old lady who lives in a shoe and the stock market analyst both had a pretty good shot at, uh, at picking how 2022 was going to go because right. none of it would fit the norm. Uh, all the rules seem to fall out of the window. There's volatility all over the place. And a lot of that volatility really came from the interest rate environment. Uh, I think I did the math the other day and it was four and a quarter points, 4.25% increase in the in the Fed funds rate all within a 12 month period, which right. seems like not very much. But if you look at it historically, that's a it's big easy. jump. Yeah. Right. Especially really with, yeah. And especially with the previous, you know, what, 15 years almost since 08, it's been, you know, what, what can we do to make interest rates lower? And is there something lower than zero? And so when you're playing with something lower than zero as, as an option, a, a 4%, four and a quarter percent raise in 12 months, that's a that's a big deal. And so the conversation we've had lately is, well, if you think through bonds and, and interest rates, they move like seesaws. So when interest rates are going up, bonds are going down is sort of the general idea. And so the bond side of a lot of the portfolios were we're not doing very well last year, especially kind of in the beginning to the middle of the of 2022. And so we were stuck with this. How do we get safety? How do we help clients take risk off the table? But how do we not have that that safety valve, that component of the portfolio being a big, giant, sucking black hole, eating returns right. and not doing anything? So can I talk for a second about specifically why bonds act like a seesaw because yeah. I think that's something because we're in the industry and we see it all the time. It just makes immediate sense. But if um, I do remember when I was getting my series seven decades ago, um, that that was actually kind of confusing to me until I actually sat and worked through the math and understood why. And so what, what happens in a rising interest rate environment is can be very dangerous if you have a heavy bond component in your portfolio or any bond component, because if you decide to liquidate your bonds um, because you want to move them into something that has a higher interest rate than what you're getting, you're probably going to sell your bonds at a loss. So just sort of easy for concept math. If I had $100 and I bought a bond that was paying 5%, then I know that I'm going to get $5 back for that bond uh, over the course of a year right? That's the, that's the payment that I'm going to get from the bond. But if you look at what happens, if interest rates go up, let's say they jump from 5% to 10% in that bond market, 
now no one is going to pay me a hundred dollars for a bond that's paying five dollars a year if they can buy a bond for a hundred dollars that's going to pay them 10. right so in order to keep the math the same right 10 percent no one's going to pay me more than 50 bucks for my bond at this point because they'll put $50 in to get five and they might buy two bonds for me and pay a hundred bucks and then they're getting their 10% return. But I'm selling my bonds at a half off sale essentially right, yeah. in order to move them into something that potentially has a higher return. And so what happens when you buy bonds in a low interest rate environment and then rates go up? is that when you need to liquidate the bonds, you take a loss. And so when people talk about interest rate risk in a bond portfolio, that's really what they're talking about. And, and so when you think about that, if you're okay with just getting half of what everyone else is getting for the bonds that they're purchasing, then you can just stay put. But realistically, if you need to cash out part of your portfolio and you're trying to keep everything allocated the way it is, then you have the potential for some pretty serious losses as interest rates go up. And so knowing that earlier this year, the Fed signaled, hey, we're going to raise rates and they're signaling again that they're going to raise rates two more times. Being in a long-term bond portfolio of any sort has some pretty major risk exposure. And even if you think about it from a different perspective, you're giving up on potentially opportunity for higher yield by purchasing bonds today, knowing that there are going to be higher yields in the future. And so from a from a big picture perspective, what Eric, you just mentioned a minute ago is as an advisor you know, bonds have historically been a place for safety. That's the way they're pitched to consumers, but they're actually very dangerous right now. Yeah. And so the question becomes, how can you build in safety, stability, predictability without giving up yield and return in this particular environment? And so we've had to get creative. I mean, yeah. and and to me, that's kind of our favorite place to be. Give us a problem and we'll ideate and we'll spend days or weeks or months right. being like, ooh, what if we did this other thing? Um, but this same kind of lack of surety for what's happening in the market has created some space and uh, investment types that normally you and I might not be prone to even looking at or exploring. And I, I think that willingness to be open-minded and say, okay, well, the environment is different. So we have to think differently right. is really important when you're looking at wealth building short-term or long-term. Sure. Well, and I think it goes back to this idea that we've talked about a number of times of mindset strategy tools, mindset to be strategy, strategy beats tools. Right. And it, it's a, especially for the mindset part of it, for us, it's okay. What's, what do we know is true? What are we trying to accomplish? What do we what do we hope to gain out of this? And one of the things we've talked about over and over again about sort of investing philosophy is there's three big three big categories: strategic, tactical, contractual. So strategic is trivial pursuit pie charts. We've got red pie pieces and blue pie pieces. Tactical is let's adjust to what's going on, and then contractual is more of how do we find specific solutions to specific problems and and build that in. And so as looking, potentially contractual guarantees, right? Right. Or, or at least some bumpers around what that looks like. And so yeah. whenever we were trying to face that problem, I think the fun part of it was going back to, okay, what are the tools that we have available to us? And what's this deep bench of people behind us that we can go tap into and say, all right, well, how are you guys solving this problem? What do you see? 
what what are the opportunities out there? And that's kind of where we had the fun of sort of ideating and, and sort of coming up with different ways to go approach it. Right, right. Well, and I think it'd be kind of interesting to talk about maybe some of the tools that are allowing us to do this. And um, I, I think that, you know, if you look at some of the tools that we're going to talk about today, even a year ago or two years ago, they weren't doing the things that they're doing now. Right. And so they weren't relevant. And now, given market uncertainty, I think they're a lot more relevant than they right. would have been a while ago. And yeah. so if you want to talk a little bit, so we we say all the time, we're not huge fans of annuities, except in certain circumstances and with certain tools or products, right? And at certain points in time. Yeah. yeah. They, they, are, they are meant to solve a specific problem. So right. in general, my personal beef with annuities is that a lot of times they try and do too many things. They're trying to get you rate of return and distribution and guarantees and protect your downside. And it's almost like they're trying to do too many things. So they don't do anything well, but not all annuities are the same. And this is where I think it's just uh, as a consumer overwhelming because oh you gosh. hear the word annuity and maybe you read a definition or an article about annuities um, but they are, there are so many different varieties of annuities. So right. I don't know that it makes sense to get into all the annuities that exist no. today. There, there's big, maybe four big categories them. and we're not going to go through all of them today. Yeah. Well, why don't you high level the four categories? Yeah. So the, you know, the, the word annuity is like, I call it a Smurf word. It's one word that can mean like a hundred different yeah. things uh, right. for those of you old enough to know what a Smurf is. Um, and it's, I always joke with people that say, oh, I hate annuities. And I'm like, well, that's kind of like saying I hate cars. It's like, well, if I had a Ford Pento yeah. and a Bugatti, they're both technically cars. They're very different animals. They're not right. the same. D different quality. Yeah. And so the, the big categories are, am I using this annuity to generate income? Or am I, am I using this in this annuity to generate return? And those are the really, like the two big questions. And some of them are that hybrid approach, right? It's giving you a little bit of return, but also distribution. Some of them are your pure, pure distribution. Like we've talked about this, right. this idea of a SPIA, single premium immediate annuity, which is sort of like a simulated pension. Right. One annuity doing one job. And it's very different than 75% of all the other annuities out there, but they're still called annuities, which is magic. Right. So the annuity that we're talking about today is meant just to get rate of return. It has no distribution feature. It has no other bells and whistles. It's one annuity doing one very specific job. And the, the, way, the way we sort of looked at this is we need rate of return, but we also need some safety built into that. And so right. as we started looking through that, and there's a concept that's, again, a year and a half ago, we we're like, what the heck's a RILA? But we got, right. it, we got introduced to something called a RILA, Registered Indexed Linked Annuity. Say that sometimes fast. And really, that's what it's there for, right? It's there to go get return when the market's up, but it's there to also build in safety when the market doesn't move in your, in your direction. But that's all it does. There's no bells and whistles. There's no fanciness to it. Right. It does one job and that's it. And it's beautiful when it does one job well. Right. It's a specialist in a world yeah. of generalists. Yeah. But I think, you know, the thing that's kind of funny about this too is when we first started talking about it, I think that um, there's sort of this stereotype too that annuities are only for old people, 
right? That unless you are oh nearing gosh. retirement or in retirement, that annuities are not for you. But the annuity that we're going to talk about today, I actually was so excited about that um, we put some IRA dollars of our families into this particular annuity. Oh. And I, I think you need to make sure, right, before you make any decisions like that, that you talk to an advisor and that you know whether it's a fit for you or not. But for sure. educational purposes, we're going to walk through it because I do yeah. think it there are certain people that this could be really applicable for. So that annuity, kind of the street name, I guess, for the type of annuity that we're going to talk about is a buffer annuity. Right. Um, and so one of the things that's really cool about the particular one that I ended up uh, putting our family's money into is that it allows you to get S&P returns over a six-year holding period. So you know you're locking the money up for six years. Um, but on at the at the end of that six year time period, if the market's down, the company that issued the annuity will eat on ours, I think 30% of the loss that yeah. occurred over a six year time period. And if yeah. it's up, I get full participation up to I think a 200% return. Something like um, that. Yeah. And so you start thinking about that and it's it's uh it becomes very attractive because it allows you to have uh, full participation almost um, with, with some caps to the upside potentially, but we'll talk about that here right. in a second in the S&P, but with a 30% loss protection over a six-year time period. So you think about that in terms of trying to find yield, but building in safety, and it just checks all the boxes right there. Right. If we've at least a six-year horizon to retirement, which I do. Right. Well, and there's some clients that don't. And so that's why, you know, a key component of that is, again, consult your advisor. This is education. But hey, what how, what's your time frame? If you've got one year to go, locking money up for six, probably not the best idea, right? right. Even, even if it can do cool things. But well, and you probably thing, also don't want to put more than what, 10 to 20% of your total assets into something that's being locked up, 20% being kind of the max. Yeah, I mean, if you if you were adamant, you probably could, but maintaining access to capital, especially in an environment like this, I think is really important too. No, for sure, for sure, and and I think that's always sort of the hieroglyphics in there and the the calculus in there that says, all right, how much of this and how much of that, and where do we fit, and where does it fit into the broader scope of what you're doing, right? No, no tool is great by itself. All the tools are better when they're surrounded by friends doing different jobs. Right. Um, and so the, you know, the cool thing about the Rylas or these buffer annuities is you get to pick the downside buffer. Nor normally in the industry, you get to pick either 10, 20, sometimes 30, like Mary was talking about. And so you get to go, all right, well, how much, how much protection do I really want? And, you know, we, you, we've had this conversation a hundred times, which I always love the, uh, what I call the manufacturing triangle, the manufacturing yeah. triangle for you that, that don't know it is good, fast, cheap. And so in a manufacturing situation, the client gets to pick two, the manufacturer gets to pick the third. So you get to pick any two of those, those categories. If I want it good and cheap, it's not going to be fast. If I want it fast and cheap, it's probably not going to be a very high quality product. Okay. So in an annuity world and investment world, there, there's that trade-off, right? If I want a lot of downside protection and I want a lot of safety built into what I'm buying, the upsides might be limited. The upsides right. might be capped a little bit. But if I want lots and lots of upside and lots of downside, you're probably going to have to leave it parked for a number of years. For a period of time. Right. Between three, six, seven years. 
And so it's always that trade-off on that side of it. But that buffer, that downside piece is really powerful because it gives you sort of a permission slip to be a little bit more aggressive than than you might normally be because you've, right. you've got that kind of safety bar on the back end. Right. And I think the thing that's um, kind of important, so another example of what you're saying, right, if you chose to take a 20% downside protection, you might be able to have market participation to 500% over a six-year time period. But if you kind of do the math on that, I mean, you're talking 80, 90% returns every year, like what? Something crazy, something crazy, right? I mean, if you compound it, it's probably not that high, but it's still some astronomical number. And so part of even deciding, okay, how much protection do I want? How much upside potential do I want is looking at market history. And so if you look at the history of the S&P 500 and Eric, you did all this research and I'm so grateful that you did it, right? Because I get to throw out the snapshot, but let's give credit where credit's due. But there have only been a couple of times in the entire history of the S&P 500 where performance over a six-year time period has exceeded 200%. I mean, you can count them on one hand. And so in all but the most robust of market recoveries, um, a 200% upside is almost full participation or gives you the ability to have that. So, you know, I look at that and I think, okay, if I'm young anyways, and I subscribe to the idea of buying like index funds, for example, and I'm going to buy the S&P 500 anyways, then I'm going to have my money in the S&P 500, but I'm going to pay the index fund fees. Whereas this particular product, I get 100% of the participation and I don't have to pay the fees. So do you want to talk about how that is possible? Because this goes to why is this available right now? Because a year ago, these tools were not offering that kind of upside with that kind of protection. So why is that happening right now? Right. Yeah, they were very limited. So yeah, so the inner workings of this is actually kind of fascinating to me. It's you know, it's linked, it's registered index linked to, to the index, to the SM, S&P 500. And the cool thing about that is when the S&P goes up, you, you do well. When the S&P goes down, it's not good for you. But you're not actually in the S&P 500. The, the annuity companies aren't actually buying, you know, the SPY or whatever the, whatever the index for the S&P 500 is. They are actually buying an option to buy the S&P 500. They're right. buying the right to buy the S&P 500 at some future date, which is great because every, it's what's called options. It's, it's puts and calls. And so what's going on in that is they're making every time you buy a put or a call, there's somebody on the other end of that, that bet that's betting the other way. So right. if I they're think the S&P 500 is going up, there's somebody on the other side of that, that argument that says S&P 500 is probably going to go down. And right. then we match up and at the end of that year period, six year period, whatever it is, somebody wins and somebody loses. Right. And so the crazy thing about the volatility that we're seeing right now um, and sort of the the uncertainty around the market, the uncertainty around interest rates is it creates this opportunity where the pricing for those options, the pricing for them to buy the right to to buy the S&P 500 is crazy. It's it's a very wide margin. And when the margin's are wide- spread because- Half the people are saying, no, we think it's going to go down or stay stagnant. And half the people are saying, no, we think there's going to be a robust recovery. Yeah. And if everybody thought the market was going to be up or everybody thought the market was going to be down, right, if there was a broad consensus on the direction, then those options pricing that the prices on that get really narrow and the annuity companies can't make those 30% downside, 200% upside deals. Like the math doesn't work out for them. 
And so this this sort of window of time where, and that's it, the beautiful part of it. Sorry, you like you hit a nerve. You, you put a coin in the machine, now I'm going. Like the beautiful <laughs> part of it is all the volatility that's creating the problems that we're facing is the same volatility that's creating the solution for the problem, which is right. which is sort of the fun part of it all. And that's the part where getting to be creative with it and, and ideate a little bit is kind of fun. It's like, well, there's a problem. When there's problems, new opportunities pop up that didn't exist before the problem came about. And so it's it's this innovation cycle, which is kind of neat. Yeah. And I th I think if you really think about what you're saying with all of this, and I, I, I think this is a key part of what you're talking about here, is that the ability to look at something and say, it's different than it was before, I'm going to re-examine it, requires right. a degree of um, being intellectually nimble that I think a lot of times consumers and even myself, like I come in with preconceived notions on occasion, you walk into my office and you're like, Mary, I think we should look at this annuity. And I'm like, please, please, right. Eric. Right. And you're like, no, seriously, we need you to look holy at holy water at me and maybe through a cross. Burn some sage, get this bad juju out of my office, whatever it is. But, um, but what's really interesting is when you are willing to re-examine something that you looked at previously because the environment is different or the circumstances are different or you're different, whatever it may be, re-looking right. at things because change has occurred, I think is incredibly important. So I'm going to go to mindset here for just a second to kind of wrap this up because we've talked strategy and then we talked a specific tool. So if you if you think about what happens to most of us, we do our research, we come to a conclusion, and then we look for things that support the conclusion. But I think what is really key right. when you are trying to build wealth is that you are constantly re-examining the conclusions that you have come to. And I, and I think this is, this is incredibly important because if you stop taking in new data because you've already made a conclusion, you get stuck. You cannot grow unless you are willing to abandon previous conclusions in favor of new information. And so I think the key here is to do the research and to verify what you're doing. But when people come back and say, hey, I think you should reconsider this, it is incredibly important to say, tell me why you think that. Right. And ask the questions to try and figure it out. And I, I think I think this I can't tell you how many times over the course of my career, and I'm sure you've seen this, too, that people have preconceived notions. And so even though you can back up everything you're saying with facts and data and proof that making a different decision is going to materially change what they get to enjoy over their lifetime, the fact that they've already made a determination right? They've already come to a conclusion, shuts them off to new possibilities. And right. so I think this is a perfect example of that because my initial response, when you kind of came in to talk about annuities, eh, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested. And then by the time we finished the conversation, I was like, you know what? I need to put some money into this because it is a unique opportunity. It, it, when I think about it, really this particular opportunity because of this space and time allows you to essentially like put the pedal on the gas and say, get me some return, but with this entire safety net built in. And one of the features that I just really actually liked is that if I hit that 200% cap, I can move to cash. Right. And and then I can take the money out. And even if, even if I pay, you know, a 5% or a 3% penalty to pull the money out early, because I hit the top of those returns, 
I'm locking in a 200% return. So if I'm paying a 3% penalty and it's been in there for three years, it's no different than if I was paying somebody to manage my money, right? And so I, I just think there's so many different options that are emerging in this market. This is just one of them and right. it's not right for everybody. So make sure that you talk to your advisor if you're thinking about it. But you know, I think that the key of this is, and it's about making sure that you're looking for the innovation in any particular situation and that you're revisiting old ideas because maybe they have a new spin. Yeah. Maybe um, they're different that makes it relevant where perhaps you didn't think it was relevant before. And, and I think the other part of that, and there's a couple of other things there though, is maybe it's right for right now, but if you're watching this video, this, this podcast two years from now, this may not be appropriate for the market two years. It may not even exist anymore. It may not exist anymore, right? And I think that's where it's, does this make sense now? And does this fit with the overall system, the overall strategy? And, and I think that's why people reject sort of new ideas is they don't have a framework and a foundation from which to judge whether something is good or bad. And so because they, they don't have a framework for judging that, it's it's easier and safer to say no, because I've already got one, right? I've already I've already set it up. But it goes back to me for that mindset piece of it of income over net worth. How do I maximize potential and how do I maximize my opportunity in a way that doesn't completely deplete my liquidity? Because right. I'm thinking about some of the people we've met recently that are very, 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 very much about certain segments of the market to the exclusion of sort of all good choices. And they right. sound great and there's sort of shiny objects in front of them, but they've they've lost grounding on slowdown tiger. Let's build up some liquidity. Let's build up some systems and stability before you go explore. And it, and I think when I'm when we look through this annuity and some of these like that like it, it's okay. How does this bounce off the foundation that we know doesn't change? And right. and does this help me or does this get me further away? And we have a framework from which to judge whether it's good or bad. Yeah, and that I think is key to making good decisions is understanding why you should make the decision in the first place. And to the point that you just made, right? Acquisition of the tools will only get you so far. The strategy has to come before the acquisition because otherwise you're just going to end up with this crazy bag of tools, like a junk drawer of financial objects, as opposed to making sure that as you're acquiring the tools, you have all of the right tools in the right mix for what you're trying to build. Yeah, And I think, I think that's really the point that you're making there, which is context is incredibly important. And that's why we focus on education, but your advisor gives you advice because we don't have the full context of your individual situation when we're talking about broad general concepts. So thank you for adding that in there. Um, If you have additional questions, you can find me at The Wealth Woman, wherever you social media. Eric, where can they find you? And you can find me at Economics with Eric, wherever you social media. Have a great week.